Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader. Um, she has acknowledged, as she did during the budgeting process, that, that she's not taking a property tax completely off the table. But at the same time, she's doing everything she can to avoid having one and is implying that she thinks she can make it through without a property tax increase this time. Hi, everybody. I'm Fran Spielman. And with us today is one of my favorite people. Better Government Association President David Grising. David, welcome. Thank you, Fran. Great to be with you. Before we get started, I need to know, is your hair down to your shoulders yet? <laughs> Not yet, but I've got a clipper in my garage that I'm going to go out. I'm going to be shaving myself and my son sometime this weekend. And if we advance to phase three, is your first trip going to be to the barber? <laughs> I think it will be. I, I, I don't like this shaggy look, and, and it emphasizes the thinning up on top in a way I don't find flattering. We're here today to talk about the first year of Mayor Lori Lightfoot, an incredible year that ends in a pandemic that will define her tenure. How do you look at her first year? Uh, we've talked before about you view her in two phases, pre and post coronavirus. Right. And I think that's the, the best way to look at uh, her record for that first year, because it's hard to remember now, but she had nearly a year in office before coronavirus became so all-consuming. And there was enough of a track record in those first uh, roughly 10 months for us to um, make an assessment as to her capability as mayor. And of course, now in the last... Um, number of weeks as sort of a, a leader in an emergency situation and somebody who is adapting to conditions that change day by day. And so I, I think it's fair to view, to, to split it in two like that and sort of offer a dual assessment. All right. So let's start at the beginning. Pre-coronavirus. What do you think? What do you remember? Well, um, you know, she had a lot of challenges coming in. The budget uh, was obviously a, a serious uh, problem for her, as well as uh, violence in the city and the inability of the Chicago Police Department to make much progress on uh, the rampant violence and uh, to begin reforming the department through the police consent decree. Um, on that latter point, uh, she 
um, started out quite skeptical of Eddie Johnson. She bought into Eddie Johnson during the course of the summer when she really had no choice uh, because that was her police chief and she needed to do the best she could with him. And frankly, the record turned out to be pretty good. But then, of course, she lost faith in Eddie Johnson and ultimately fired him for, as she said, lying to him about um, an incident that, that we're all familiar with. Um, she brought in Charlie Beck, who did a really, I think, a strong job as an interim. And now she has recruited David Brown to uh, to be the, the new police chief. So uh, the numbers for um, last year would tell us that indeed they've made progress. You know, the, the homicides were below 500 uh, for the first time since uh, 2015. Uh, they were down 13% from where they were in 2018. So the, that is progress. On the other hand, she's still got serious problems in the police force and a lot of work left to do. Um, on the finance now, you've side, said you you've said that 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 firing of Eddie Johnson was not her finest hour. Why? Well, um, because I, I think she exhibited a tendency to not just fire him, but also to humiliate him um, in her announcement about uh, it. A statement about the firing where she said that there was information that came to light that would be embarrassing to him and his family, she, she said. And of course, there has been reporting about Eddie Johnson before he was found um, uh, 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 in his car um, uh, and uh, not awake in his car, let's say, uh, that he had been seen at the series uh bar and restaurant in the floor of the Chicago Board of Trade building uh, with a woman, not his wife. And, and that was that was uh, a little bit over the top. She didn't need to do that. And so what does that say about her? Did she make a mistake by lauding him and going to the retirement party? And then she was angry because she she was embarrassed? I mean, did she make a mistake? Should she kept arms laid for him again? I think she felt betrayed by him. And and it, as with anybody in a position of leadership, when somebody lies to you, and we still don't know the details of what the lying was that, that she claims he, he did, um, I, I think she felt betrayed. And, and you have to take a few steps back and realize, as you do, I know, Fran, that, that she, um, Mayor Lightfoot was somewhat skeptical of Eddie Johnson. She wasn't sure that he really had the chops uh, to lead the department through this difficult period, she wound up begrudgingly feeling some level of confidence in him uh, kind of late summer, early fall, and she did give him a really nice send-off, the, the sort of, of which you would give to somebody who was a trusted uh, lieutenant in, in your uh, cabinet. And um, instead, um, this all happened then where it turned out that he apparently did give her uh, in false information. And so as we've seen in other cases, the mayor uh, doesn't take betrayals or, um, or, or challenges very lightly. She takes it very seriously and she plays for keeps. And this is one instance in which she, uh, she really did kind of give him a kick on his way out the door. Now on the finances, she balanced a budget that she claimed was $838 million in the red without a massive property tax increase. 
And now here we are in the middle of the coronavirus, which has caused revenues to plummet across the board. Did she make a mistake in doing that and relying so heavily on one-time revenues? She, I don't know if it was a mistake in that instance. I, I think it was, it was frankly a pretty impressive piece of uh, financial um, uh, handiwork there. The, the fact that she was able to like, pass the budget with no property tax increase. Uh, many of us had expected she would need to rely on one before she, in order to get anywhere close to filling that 800 some million dollar hole that she said that uh, Rahm Emanuel had left for her. Um, she's still um, dancing with the whole property tax question now. Um, she has um, acknowledged, as she did during the budgeting process, that, that she's not taking a property tax completely off the table. But at the same time, she's doing everything she can to avoid having one and is implying that she thinks she can make it through without a property tax increase this time. I don't know how she will do that this time, frankly, uh, because she did squeeze all the one-time savings that could be found into the existing budget. Uh, the financial picture has gotten a lot worse. Um, she seems to be banking on uh, bailout money from the federal government and possibly, it sounds like, uh, an, a significant amount of new borrowing. And if indeed they wind up borrowing a lot of money in order to avoid a property tax increase, uh, one can question that judgment. Uh, Chicago already carries an inordinate amount of debt. Um, its credit rating is very poor. And um, to add more debt when the alternative would be to add a property tax increase, uh, one has to question the financial decision there. Uh, property tax in increases, of course, are uh, politically uh, a very hot issue. Uh, she was quite critical of Rahm Emanuel's record of raising property taxes numerous times in his uh, years in office, and she seems to want to avoid having a property tax increase on her record. Particularly now when people are going to struggle to pay the property tax bills that are coming due before any increase. Uh, foreclosures are a possibility. People can't pay their rent. They can't pay their mortgages. Well, yeah, and that's the argument that, that she is making, is, is that a property tax increase at this moment would be regressive and would really hit hard on the people who can least afford uh, to, to make those payments. And, and that's, that's not only a, a fair political argument, it probably makes sense on a financial perspective as well. It doesn't do you much good to raise taxes and then find out that people literally cannot afford to pay them, uh, which would be um, a large number of people these days uh, with so many, you know, 20% something unemployment, uh, et cetera. Um, the ability to pay uh, would be called into question. Let's talk about the issue that got her elected, corruption, ethics reform. It seems like forever ago that she put Ed Burke in his place and then he was subsequently indicted in that sweeping racketeering indictment. But really, what do you think of her record on ethics reform as the federal government seems to be at a standstill in this, what was a very sweeping corruption investigation? 
Yeah, it's very odd that we've heard nothing about the investigation, which really seemed to be building momentum uh, toward um, indictments of a number of different people, uh, many of them in, in having some connection to Mike Madigan, the Speaker of the House. The, the investigation has not hit city council nearly as hard, although, of course, it did uh, indict um, uh, Ed Burke, and that, that's, that's a historic indictment for certain. As you said, she had that moment where she smacked down Ed Burke during her first city council meeting, and we've really barely heard from Ed Burke since then. Um, I look at a couple of different things that, that I think are, are worth paying some attention. Um, one is her record on Freedom of Information Act uh, open records requests has really been quite spotty uh, for a mayor who said that she would run, uh, be a, a very transparent mayor. Um, uh, she immediately after COVID, she briefly said that the city was not going to honor open records requests because it didn't have the capacity to do so. She backed off of that, but nevertheless, she still is uh, uh, supporting an effort by the Illinois Municipal League, the group of mayors from across the state, uh, to suspend um, uh, their obligation to respond to records requests. And, and I think that's an error in judgment on the mayor's part. Um, it's very important as government takes a larger and larger role in our daily lives for us to be able to monitor um, the activities of government and open records requests are a key tool in doing so. Um, the other issue that is quite interesting, well, I mean, it is the emergency powers resolution that she pushed through, uh, saying that she needs to be able to make judgments without waiting for city council to weigh in. And as the debate went on, it, it emerged that city council really can respond pretty quickly. Uh, they were able to, uh, for example, assemble and do business within 48 hours. In fact, in, in just um, uh, hearing this particular resolution, uh, Nevertheless, she got that vote, the, the historic 29-21 vote, except that this time it was in her favor, whereas the famous 29-21 during the Harold Washington era, he was always losing by 29-21. By um, so she was able to push that through, and, and that that is a historic level of power that she has grabbed and, and raises questions about sort of a, um, an imperial mayoralty. Uh, the, the third element that's worth noting in this front is, of course, the uh, male uh, or aldermanic prerogative question. She really has, um, you know, at the start of her administration, she all but eliminated aldermanic prerogative. But that has come back to bite her now, where um, when we had problems in the wards, such as the uh, demolition of the Crawford power plants in the uh, Little Village, Pilsen area, um, and City Hall gets blamed by aldermen who say that if they had uh, more local power, they would have been able to prevent such things from happening. Uh, that claim isn't entirely true, but it does show that when you uh, reduce the power of aldermen, pretty much all the problems of the city then come and uh, land on the fifth floor of City Hall and while that's a good move on the ethics front, it is occasionally creating political problems for the mayor. Let's also talk about the fact that she eliminated automatic prerogative over licensing and permitting on day one of her administration by executive order. She has not 
eliminated all the manic prerogative over zoning, which is the huge fight requiring a city council vote. Do you think she's going to back off of that? She has so far. Will she have to? It, it's She's in a period where she's um, needing to count votes a lot more than she did um, at the beginning of her administration when she swept into office with uh, having won all 50 wards, 70% of the vote across the city, having not established a track record that created any issues for her yet. Uh, today, she, they are starting to develop um, groups of aldermen who are willing to uh, to, to buck her. Um, there is not the sort of top-down control of city council as has been the case under Rahm Emanuel and Mayor uh, Richard M. Daley. And, and so... Uh, I, she's not going to introduce that um, until she knows for certain, not only that she can win, but that she can win with a good good margin. And I think, as with many things, uh, that issue and others have been put on the back burner while she deals with uh, the COVID-19 pandemic. Now let's talk about the teacher strike, which was another very important moment. Who won that one? What did we learn about Lori Lightfoot? I think we learned uh, a lot about Lori Lightfoot as a negotiator. And um, uh, who won is, uh, I think, uh, uh, as she said at the, at the time when they, of, her, of the press conference when they did settle, she said she doesn't like to talk about winners and losers um, because this is about the children's education. And um, I don't want to duck that question by, by um, you know, saying what she said, but it, it kind of was a draw, frankly. Um, she, the, the mayor's negotiating tactic was unusual in that she came out with what she considered a, and I think was on its face, a pretty generous offer, but then she refused to budge, basically. And she just waited for um, the CTU to more or less negotiate against itself until they got to a resolution. The CTU got a lot of what they wanted in terms of supports in the classroom, which became the biggest issue in the negotiation. And she was able to uh, give them some movement in that area um, without really damaging the financial goals that she had set for herself. And the, the big issue at the end was that she had drawn a line in the sand saying that she was not going to reimburse teachers for the days that they took off uh, um, on their strike. And um, she wound up having to compromise in order to get to yes at the very end of the negotiation. She gave, uh, she wanted zero days. She wound up giving them five days strike pay. The CTU had demanded 10 days strike pay. So that was a classic negotiating where the two sides uh, in order to get to yes, they split the difference. And so some people say, but well, there, she was so there was so much bitterness about the five days they didn't get, or the six days they didn't get, rather, because it was an 11-day strike, that they didn't stand with her to announce the agreement. Well, the, you know, that was probably as much about Jesse Sharkey and his um, his need to play to his caucus to the to the teachers um I, I don't think it necessarily says that was a it that it was a bad deal or anything i, I think that was just po politics on on the part of the ctu president um 
you know, as he said, I, I don't want to be standing with the mayor grinning for a photo when my teachers are still out on strike. I, I think that was, he was playing to his audience and I don't put a lot of weight uh, behind that sort of uh, handshake sort of photograph. All right. So now let's move on to the post pandemic period, which has really defined Lori Lightfoot as a persona, as an international celebrity. And now the image of her is indelible. What have we learned about her since? <laughs> well, I think we've learned a few things. We, the general public, have learned a few things that you see every single day, uh, I would think. Uh, we've, we've learned that um, the, the mayor kind of um, does, you know, has little patience for people who uh, won't follow along with what she thinks is a, a plainly evident um, path of um, basically following her program. And, um, and that, in, in a sense, has, I think, served her well. Her, uh, her uh, evident um, anger over the fact when people have house parties uh, when they're supposed to be uh, staying at home. And she... Not only does she hold a press conference to castigate people for doing so, she finds out where a house party is scheduled, goes out to, what was it, West Garfield? Um, I don't remember exactly what neighborhood it was a couple Saturdays, last Saturday I think it was, uh, to hold a press conference basically on the scene to say, there will not be a party in this neighborhood. We're going to put an end to it. Um, her shutdown of the lakefront after uh, there were pictures published in, the, the papers about, you know, on, on one of the war first warm days of spring when people were on the lakefront, she shut down the bike path, shut down all the parks. She personally has gotten out there and broken up basketball games in, in, uh, in some of the uh, park neighborhoods. And, and so um, uh, she, she's showing that she's very hands-on, that, she, that she's willing to go toe-to-toe -to -toe with those who disagree with her. Um, and that she's um, uh, she's going to stand her ground against any so even against any sort of criticism. She is getting some criticism, but I think she's probably winning more admirers than she is uh, um, losing people. The other thing that she's done that I think has been beneficial to her and very important to the city, and frankly important to her politically, is that she has elevated this question of equity and the coronavirus and the, the disproportionate uh, effect coronavirus is having on uh, African-American and now uh, focusing on Latino communities as well. Um, she really has put that on the national agenda. Uh, she was the first big city mayor to really draw attention to that. She went on a number of national uh, television broadcasts in order to talk about it. And um, it's something that is very important nationwide. It's very important in Chicago. And in terms of city politics here in Chicago, it's very important to her politically. Uh, she is a, an African-American mayor, and she has strong support in the African-American community. But there are many who are so far feeling disappointed by her that she has not pushed her equity agenda as hard as they had expected. And so this uh, focus on African-Americans, while I think is coming from her heart and is doing a lot of good, is also serving her well uh, politically as well. 
But the housing solidarity pledge fell far short of the rent relief that the left was was, was pushing and needs desperately. And so this shows how difficult it's going to be even more so now to please the hard left, to please the progressives. And, you know, she was having trouble proving that she really was a progressive because she's been governing in a very pragmatic way. Yeah, I, I, I think the progressive caucus in council and the progressive activists around the city um, are very skeptical and critical of her. And, uh, you know, that's not to say that she has ignored them altogether. Um, you know, she, she has focused on an equity agenda um, in, in a sense. It's just that she hasn't moved as far with, as you just pointed out, with, with affordable housing as they want her Invest Southwest uh, movement, uh, which is focused on bringing new investment to the South and West neighborhoods of the city. Uh, it's got a big number attached to it, $750 million, but it frankly is kind of just packaging a bunch of exist, existing city programs. Existing. Right, and, and, and branding it effectively, which has some value, frankly. Uh, she's bringing some new money in. You know, She's talked to the big banks about uh, bringing in J.P. Morgan Chase, for example, $40 million, BMO Harris, $10 million. So she has brought in money, but but as you said, um, she has left affordable housing sort of on the on the wayside. Uh, she has not made the progress that um, that has been expected of her. Um, and in fact, um, this has been an issue for her uh, both in in city council as well as and when she's tried to get make progress in Springfield. Um, the uh, Democrat, the, the Black Caucus, even in Springfield, is holding her accountable for that. And so uh, she's got some work to do on her equity plans. She and Governor Pritzker have had their clashes before and after and during the pandemic. Uh, how do you see that all playing out? Well, um, you know, it, as she said in the um, uh, her appearance at the Economic Club this week, um, uh, the two of them did not know each other uh, very well personally, and they had um, uh, some uh, missteps when they were first getting started, but that COVID-19 has brought them together um, in uh, sort of in, in the trenches, fighting this disease, trying to order, uh, coordinate their efforts. Um, that hasn't been perfect either. But they seem now to have um, a good working relationship in which they at least are checking in with each other before uh, taking any major steps, which hasn't always been the case, and um, uh, seem to have some respect for each other that has been earned through this difficult period together. That doesn't necessarily mean that she's going to get her agenda passed in Springfield. Um, uh, the, the you know, the governor is going to be focused on a lot of different issues and not necessarily uh, solving all the problems for the mayor of the city of Chicago. So we'll find out over the next couple of weeks whether the working relationship they have developed uh, will actually benefit her, benefit the mayor and the city uh, as um, the state legislature uh, goes back to work next week.
you and I have talked about this. The biggest challenges going forward are going to be whether or not David Brown is up to the task of bringing down crime. How is she going to tackle this enormous hole in the budget? And can she continue to advance her equity agenda in a fiscally responsible way that somehow satisfies the progressives? And finally, how can she work out her, her difficulties with the city council and still maintain a majority as the difficult votes really approach? And can she keep her temperament in check? Which of those do you think are the most challenging? Well, I think probably keeping her temperament in check is probably be, it, it touches on each one of those. And um, it, it's just, it's part of her personality that she, um, she does, um, it, it's evident. She, she has a temper and she remembers slights and uh, remembers who, who's been with her and who's been against her. And she's got to be careful not to allow that to get in the way of, uh, making you know making deals with people who maybe have uh, ticked her off in the past. We'll see how that goes over time. I haven't seen evidence so far that while she does have the temper that it's really clouded her ability, clouded her judgment overall. Uh, but we'll find that out. Um, just going through those those other issues that that you mentioned, um, I, I, the budget. The budget is going to be really the big one. Um, it was interesting when she briefed lawmakers on her plans for this for the shortened spring session. She did not mention the real estate transfer tax, which previously had been a big part of her agenda and accounts for roughly fifty million dollars in revenue, which is not um, insignificant. Uh, she seems to have realized that she's not going to get that through, and it's no longer on her agenda. That was quite interesting. As regards David Brown, um, uh, this is the real question mark. Uh, she passed over uh, the police board, ultimately came up with three finalists that did not include the person many thought was the heir apparent, which was Sean Malinowski, who um, had experience in LA, uh, which is a, a police force that had been through a consent decree and had a lot of problems similar to Chicago's and also had experience at Chicago crime lab, knows Chicago policing very well. She went outside the department to David Brown. Chicago police department has not received outsiders very well in the past. And so it's going to be quite interesting to see this Dallas, former Dallas police chief uh, try to take over and continue the momentum that, that was building under Eddie Johnson. So I, I would say the, the, her budget and Springfield agenda and policing are going to be the big issues, though, certainly over the next few months. The equity stuff, of course, never goes away. Um, it'll be, in, it'll, it's implicit in policing. It's implicit in budgeting. It's, it's vital to everything she does, and frankly, it'll be vital to her uh, success ultimately as mayor of the city of Chicago. All right. So as we wrap up, what's your grade? If you're the teacher and she's the student, what's the grade? Oh, goodness. Um, you knew I was going to ask that. Yeah, I, I, should, I should have thought that through. Um, I, um, the best teacher I ever had talked about how grades were unimportant, that you know how well you're doing, I don't need to give you grades. That's sort of my, my mindset, but I'm not going to duck this entirely. Um, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd give her probably uh, a B plus. Um, because I think she has accomplished a lot, and I think she's she's done pretty well during this COVID crisis, which um, 
which no mayor is prepared for, has been prepared for. And I think, I think she's shown um, her ability to focus on the essential issues, to take command, to exhibit leadership, to call for calm and I think get calm, to get people to follow her and to believe in her. And so I think she's really boosted um, her, uh, her grade, I guess, by, by doing this well. And I think it'll serve her well going forward. The reason I wouldn't give her something in the A, A category is, is because uh, the ethics agenda is unfinished. I think the FOIA, the Freedom of Information Act stuff, is a significant um, uh, shortcoming uh, on her part. And because the financial uh, picture remains a really serious problem, and she, even this late in the game, has not begun articulating uh, much about what her budget will look like, and and I think people need to need to begin understanding how she's going to address these really serious problems. David Grising, thank you so much. Get a haircut. I'll try to do the same, and we will <laughs> see you all next week. Thank you very much, Fran.